if you will, please stand. Because what we are about to do is hear the word of Jesus Christ to his people, which the Spirit of God is putting before us this morning because he loves us. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. You may be seated. Last week we saw that what was good in the beginning is not good anymore. And this morning in our passage, Pastor Solomon goes on in his quest for good. And then invites us to consider what happens when the search for goodness in this crooked world moves beyond the choices that you and I have for, for, for what we're going to do. Last week it was focused on, are you going to go to the funeral or are you going to go to the frat party? And, and as his quest for good goes on, his quest turns sour. This is a moment 
like that moment, some of you, I'm sorry, have experienced where you reach for the chocolate chip cookie and you end up tasting a demonic raisin in there. As he goes on, we ask the question, what happens if we search for good, not in our choices and invitations, but in ourselves? And the answer comes from Solomon. Righteousness cannot be found in anyone under the sun. That's a sermon in a sentence. Righteousness cannot be found in anyone under the sun. That will be the unifying conclusion in each of the three findings that, that, that Solomon will report to us in our passage this morning. Notice in the, right at the beginning of the passage in verse 15, he says, I have seen everything. And then at the end of, of, of this report of all that he's seen on his quest, he just keeps on talking about I found this. I did not find this. This alone I have found. And it is this point. Righteousness cannot be found in anyone under the sun. So let's consider three findings that Solomon reports on his great quest. Finding number one, verses 15 through 18. There is safety in fear. There is safety in fear. A few weeks ago, a faithful 35-year-old pastor, husband, father of four, was killed by a semi at the moment that he was saving the lives of others, perishing in his righteousness. Hugh Hefner dies at 91 years old. A man who devoted his entire life to blatant rebellion and denial of God. To using and objectifying young girls, daughters, for the twisted pleasures of other wicked men. Prolonged his life in his evil doing. Look back at verse 13 from last week. Consider the work of God, who can make straight what He, God, has made crooked. Verse 15 is the most meaningful example yet of just how crooked this world is. And from this observation that the righteous perish in their righteousness, that the evil prolong their life in their evil doing, the preacher gives, it, gives this advice Therefore, do not be overly righteous. Do not be overly wicked. What he's saying is, in this world, the righteous die young. Because the world is crooked. It's not the way it should be. Just because someone dies young doesn't mean that they're enemies of God. God can reward His servants with an early death. So, if you want most a long life, Just get this in your mind that righteousness may not give that to you. But believer, you're a fool 
If you think that devoting yourself to selfishness and to your pleasures will be the way that you can guarantee a long life. God may punch your ticket early. If you go on drinking and driving, overdosing on substances, there are STDs that kill. If you keep inviting over and over the concern of law enforcement officers... There are electric chairs for a reason. He's not saying that God, uh, God just doesn't, I mean, all things in moderation, right? I mean, let's not go overboard with this holiness bit. Get you, dabble in the holiness and dabble in the wickedness. You should do both of those things. The point is, at the end of verse 18, If what you're looking for is safety and not merely a long life, if you want safety, you cannot put God on the hook. You cannot persuade Him and force Him to give you the kind of life that you you want just by volunteering more or giving more to good good organizations, or to your church, or, or by, by maintaining a soft tone, tone of voice, or by smiling when things are, are difficult, or by building in healthy habits into your life. You can't put God on the hook. And you better not try to tempt His patience by flaunting your evil. The path to real life, which is lived... Above the sun and after this life, the path to real life for both groups of people. For that group of people that's better than the average guy. And also for the wicked. The path to real life is fearing God. It's regarding Him. Giving Him the respect He deserves as the only God. What if you do that? If you fear Him and don't treat Him like one of your buddies. Don't treat Him like just a more powerful and better, better person. But, but if you regard Him as God Almighty, what that will mean is you, you understand you cannot manipulate Him. You will understand just how good He is and that will throw into perspective most clearly how not good you are and will leave you putting aside all your demands. It will mean you will stop comparing yourself to others. What am I? Am I closer to Hugh Hefner? Am I closer to that pastor? Where am I on the line and where can I... No, he's not saying compare yourself to others. He's saying the only path to real life is fearing God. It's considering God. Stop comparing yourself to people. And consider God Almighty. Righteousness cannot be found in anyone under the sun. That message will be taught in each of these three sections. And it gets even more explicit in the next. Finding number two. On Solomon's quest for good. 
is in verses 19 through 24, where it says, strength is found in wisdom. Safety is found in fear. Strength is found in wisdom. I'll admit, it's... It's a strange thing to live in a day where we are like actively having conversations about militia. You know, a group of just regular citizens who are going to gather together and stand against the forces of evil who mean to invade our communities. I'll also say while we're on the topic that I take some measure of comfort that I'm surrounded by a bunch of good old boys who are armed to the teeth. And we are, we have good reason to be concerned that we not get the wrong guy in November. Because we want a strong country. And and if we get the better guy, it will give us the better chance to have the right cabinet, the right Supreme Court justices who will rule over this people. But understand this, verse 19 is telling us that it is wisdom. It is, it is living like God is real that makes us strong. More strong than ten of the right rulers in this country. It is living like God has rights over you personally and me Personally, that he doesn't just have rights over those left-wing nut jobs. He doesn't just have concerns over people who are on the sex offender list. But no, he has concerns over you and your life and mine. It's living like that. Living like he is the one who is right about everything. And I can be wrong about a lot of things. That's wisdom. That's a right perspective on reality. Having the right perspective on the fact that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. That is going to make you strong. That is going to make your church strong. That will make your country more stable than getting the right guy in the Oval Office this year. So be focused on the right things, church. Be rightly concerned about what happens in November. Be more concerned that whatever happens in November, Jesus has no threats to His kingdom. And we are in His hands. There is strength if we are wise. And then right away, He gives us these two caveats. And they're both devastating. You'll have security if you have wisdom. But caveat number one in verses 20 through 22 is you can... You can get that wisdom and you can feel that strength. But ain't nobody righteous. No one is righteous. Verse 20. Surely there is not. I I know I gave you an example of a righteous man who in his righteousness perishes early in life. But surely there is not a different kind of righteous man on earth. And what I mean is he does good and he never Sins. There's no one like that. I was reminded this week as I was studying of a friend of mine who asks two simple questions to get to a conversation about 
Jesus? You may want to write these down. These are good questions. When you meet with someone, have the courage to say, are you ready to face God? And then whatever they say, say in response, what will you say to him? And I can tell you as a pastor that I have heard too many people ask, answer the second question. Too many people who answer the first question, yes, answer the second question, because I've been more good than bad, or some variation of it. My first semester in college, several weeks in, I take uh, an exam in psychology. I get the test back that I studied for, and the grade is a 63. Um, Now, I I never thought of myself as the smartest fella in the room, Uh, but I also was not sitting in a Harvard classroom and and getting the the 63. You see, I I had been accepted into the school. I, I was paying my tuition. I had been going several weeks. I had been studying. I was a college student. That doesn't mean that I knew how grading works. No one ever told me they're going to grade on a curve so that my 63 was compared to everyone else's grades. And that 63 ended up not being an F. It ended up being a B. But there were long moments where I was terrified of what was going on and terribly embarrassed. We need to understand what the word righteousness means. When he says, I haven't found a righteous man on earth who always does good and never sins. He's he's not saying what, what most of us think. Which is, I do some good some of the time. I mean, every person made in the image of God, even though we're sinners, has the ability to do some good some of the time. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is upon evaluation from the pure heart and eyes of God that that person is qualitatively right about everything and absolutely holy. He's not talking about some view of goodness that CNN recently reported when they said, well, even Jesus Christ never thought that he himself was perfect. No, beloved, that is not true. Let me give you, I know you've been living in this world a long time, but I don't want anyone in here to be living in this world like I was living in college. I want you to hear the truth. I don't want you to be uninformed in any way. Let me give you a few passages of what Jesus actually did say. He didn't just call himself perfect. Listen to this in Matthew 5. He said, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or Peter in 1 Peter 1 says, he who called you is holy, you should be holy in all of your conduct. And I wonder if you've heard these other verses in the Psalms. Psalm 5, verse 5. God hates all evildoers. Anyone who does evil, God hates. And again, in Psalm 11, verse 5. God's soul hates the wicked. 
You have to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, you're evil. And God hates all evildoers from His soul. Righteousness here is moral perfection. It is absolute, with no exceptions, purity. It is the utter absence of any perfection. On this exam, everyone who gets a 99 gets an F. And will be sent to hell forever and ever and ever. It's devastating. Verse 20. And it's true. So he goes on and says, don't, don't get too upset. Don't listen too closely to your servants thinking they, they just exist because you pay them to, to praise you. And you hear them cursing you. You know yourself that many times you've done the same thing. I hope you know yourself that many times you have been in situations like me where I have been hot about something, really upset that someone had the audacity to sin this way against me. And immediately God shows what a fool I am by giving me an example of how I do that very thing to other people. Do you know that about you? And so God gives an example of how thoroughly sinful we are by pointing to that small organ behind our teeth. This is, how sin, this is how much sin has gotten to us. That that tiny organ behind your teeth proves that you curse others, though you were made to love them. Beloved, if you are ever going to experience the good news and the rescue of Jesus Christ, we all have to start with the confession. It's not just that I sin sometimes. It's not just like... The majority of answers that I get to that question, what will you say to God? And they say, I've been more good than bad. Now, do, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest here. I don't do everything right. I've done some bad things. No, don't just confess that truth that sometimes you sin. We have to confess that we are not just sometimes sinners. We, we are sinners. That is who we are. And Every speck in another's eye should preach to you a log in your own. When you see a servant cursed against you, let that be that reminder. You do worse and you do more. If, if, if everyone were to know the truth about you, which God does, we have to get to the place where we are allowing God to have his say, not just about other people, but about us. So that we say, I am not worthy to be trusted by anyone, much less God. You will find strength and wisdom, but there is no one righteous and there is no one wise. You will find strength and wisdom. And he says in verses 23 and 24, I said, I will be wise. And I couldn't find it. What Pastor Solomon is saying throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is life is like a labyrinth. It's a maze in which people are trying to find the, the, the treasure at the end. And there are all kinds of dead ends. And if you think that 
pursuing wisdom is the one thing that you can actually attain? Well, Solomon, Solomon, the wisest of them all, says, it was beyond me. So, yes, pursue wisdom. It is better than folly. Did you notice in verses 16 and 17, wisdom is right alongside righteousness and folly is right alongside wickedness and evil. You can't pursue the evil. You can't pursue folly. Don't do that. Pursue wisdom. That, that is what the righteous do. But you would be a fool, according to the wisest man on earth, if you think that your regard of God, your wisdom, will lead you to live perfectly such that God will actually be pleased to accept you because of what you've done. You won't find it. Righteousness cannot be found in anyone under the sun. But the findings are getting more and more damning. Finding number three is in verses 25 through 29. I have not just found that there is safety in fear, there is strength in wisdom, but there is sin in man. Notice how the quest for good is just ramping up in, in, in these verses. Look in verse 25. I turned my heart because I couldn't find the, all the depths of wisdom. And I'm, in, in this point in my life, I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. He's seeking to find. He's desperate. Where can I find good? And what does he find? There are actually three findings in this last point. The first thing he finds is the trapper. Verse 26, and I find something more bitter. I'm looking for good and I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Remember, the book of Ecclesiastes is, is constantly comparing our world today to the world that God made in Genesis 1 and 2. And he's saying, this world is not what God made it to be. And here's an example. Don't you remember Genesis 2, when woman was made? Woman was made to be a helper to her husband in the pursuit of a life that is good. And now the helper has become the hunter. What what he's doing is he's giving these real illustrations that that people not this it's not just that this world is crooked, but under the sun, people are crooked. People defy God. So people are made with a purpose and they defy God in, their, in the way they pursue their life. Not 
Every woman did he find to be the hunter. But he says, I found the woman. Not every woman. But there is too much about this woman in Scripture. There are too many examples that you have witnessed, that I have witnessed of foolish, lust-filled men who ruin their life because they've been trapped by an adulteress. How can we escape? Men... It's more bitter than death. Everyone in the world, Hebrews says, is afraid of death. You know, it's worse than death. How can we escape? Not by lingering looks. Not by imagining affairs. Not by pornography. Verse 26, only by pleasing God. In other words, it is only God who can rescue us from becoming prey. Listen to what else Solomon says in Proverbs. The woman who is the seductress is equated with folly. In other words, those who will fall to her Live lives that are foolish. Live lives that deny God. And so she's even, she has a name and it's folly in Proverbs chapter 9. She seduces those who are simple. Those who pass by her and hear her say, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Stealing the pleasures that are not yours. Doing things in the dark will please you. And the one who listens does not know that the dead are there. And that they will be sent to Sheol. Brothers, listen to God. We need to fill our lives with what He calls good. Women, listen to God. Fill your life with what God calls good and seek to please Him with your mind. And that only happens, the simple, the ones who go to, to her, the, the foolish are the ones who deny God. The only way we'll, we'll, we'll escape is if we hear from God and listen to Him and not to her and to our flesh. We, we need the Word. And, and wouldn't it be a blessing if we had brothers who would pray for us and encourage us with the truth? We do. And men and women, make a covenant with your eyes. The temptation may be different from women, but make a covenant. Make a promise. I'm not going to entertain anyone who's not my spouse. Here's the question. Do you have habits, daily habits of hearing the truth and of seeking purity? that are going to actually help you flee like Joseph and not fall like David. You study their stories. 
And they each at that moment in their life had habits in their life of truth and purity. That put them in the position that when the woman came, Joseph fled and David fell. The second finding is in verses 27 through 28 where he finds only one man. Solomon is trying to find, it says, the scheme of things, which is the, the secret to, to good life. What is the plan that will give me a good life? And in these verses, men, let's just take uh, this moment in. Uh, ladies, if you will permit us, just for this one moment, uh, to hear Solomon say that men are better than women. We live in a day where th- this is really hard to believe, um, be, because what, what, is, what is more common in our group is women who are carrying along, dragging along their disinterested men toward good. But would you just permit for a moment this, this small consolation that men get that we are better than women by one-tenth of one percent? I'm looking for someone to help me to good. And in all my searching of a thousand, I found one. Maybe it's uh, a friend who encouraged him in the faith. But in all my searching of women, I didn't find anyone who would help me to God. Now, as we are taking this moment in, understand that in the town of Graham, there are only eight men like this. And he's probably not sitting with us here today. The odds are not in our favor that we would be such a man. So this is not very high praise for men either. And this is autobiographical, isn't it? Solomon is writing this. And Solomon had a certain weakness. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, it says in Scripture. And maybe he's saying here, not one of them helped me to know the Lord. This is a dangerous world where we're hunted and where the search for someone to help us find good in God, well, that kind of help is hard to find. But the third finding is the most supreme finding. And he says that all that I found are schemers. Verse 29. See, this is my only finding. Ignore all the rest. This alone is what I have found. God made humanity upright, but they have all sought out many schemes. Notice that the scheming is active. What he's saying is everyone who lives searches for ways to defy God and oppose Him. And everyone is looking for many opportunities to hurt other people for their own gain. The scheming is active and all are schemers. Every child of the first man. God made, same word Adam, God made man upright, righteous, fully holy. And he and all of his children search out for Sin. If you're wise, be encouraged because you'll be strong against all the dangers that could attack you, but understand that no one finds wisdom. And you know what? If you can just please God, you will escape danger 
And there is no one who pleases Him. There is no one upright. Do you hear what danger we're in? I love to watch these adoption videos. I just happened to see a couple of them just come across my feed this week where you see the seven-year-old little girl who looks nothing like the two adults sitting next to her. And she opens up for her birthday this present and takes out the tissue and sees just a piece of paper that says, we're adopting you. And immediately, she's overwhelmed with tears of relief. It is her deepest desire to have someone who will protect her, who will love her, who will, who will be there and not make her leave again and again. Can you imagine watching one of those videos posted by, maybe just imagine the kindest, most godly people that you know share a video just like that. The child opens it up and says, we, we are adopting you. And it's not tears of joy, but it's rage. And they throw the present and punch the people and run out of the house screaming. And you would watch that and say, how could you leave security? Leave, love. They're going to take care of you. They have resources to take care of you. You'll, you'll not want for anything. They're going to be kind to you. They can protect you. There's so many evils out there. Why would you do it? It would be unthinkable. And the passage that Cooper read to us this morning said that's the entire human race. Searching for schemes no one searches for. No one wants him. No one thinks he's good. No one thinks he's loving. No one thinks he can protect us. Romans chapter 3 brings us into the market for children. God enters this market and is filled with candidates who can be his children. And what the text says about you and about me is what he sees. is He's offering himself as a father. I'll take care of you. I'll protect you. I'll save you. I'll give you. I'll spend all my resources to have you. I will give you goodness. And every single person there does not fear God, does not want God. Every one of them says, I don't want you. I want someone else who will appeal to my evil desires. I don't want anyone leading me. And the good news of the gospel is that right next to the Father is a Son who is completely righteous, who comes after this is written. Surely there is no one on earth who is righteous, who does good, and never sins. And next to Him is someone who has lived that life. C.S. Lewis gave the picture of Him understanding temptation and the cruelty of this world far better than you do and far better than I do. He experienced temptation to a greater degree. It's like a man who is walking against a fierce gust of wind. 
And the more you walk against that gust of wind, that force against you, the harder it gets to stay up. And the only way that you can find some relief is to lay down and let it blow you over. And then you gather enough strength up and stand up and try to walk against it again. Jesus never lied down. He kept going against the wind of his temptations. He kept going against all the evil and he never gave in. He experienced temptation and the cruelty of this world and the appeals and and lures of, of sin more than anyone who ever lived and he never sinned therefore he is the only one who could escape danger he's the only one who qualifies to please god and beloved the good news of the gospel is he did not escape it that he went to the cross to take it to take all of god's anger all of his wrath for all of our sins jesus absorbs it on the cross It says in Romans chapter 3 that when God shows up to the market and none of the children want Him, God put forward His Son as a propitiation. That means He goes up to the table and He says, I'll buy them. I'll buy these names on the list. And here's the payment. My Son right here will die. And His blood is enough to turn these ingrates, to turn these people who are evil and love evil, His blood is enough to actually make them love me and love righteousness, and I'll pay it. And the Son says yes for the glory of His Father and for the gain of His people. And God raised Him from the dead. Righteousness cannot be found in anyone Under the sun, except for Christ. Hear this invitation. The certain churches use every time people come to church. To all who are weary and need rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares. To all who fail and desire strength. To all who sin and need a Savior. To all who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And to whoever will come, the church opens wide her doors and offers her welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you Please God and escape eternal danger. Only this way. Casting all of your hope on the only one who pleased Him. He is worthy to hold forever those He loves. And beloved, after He saves you, By His saving grace, turn from foolishness and wickedness and give yourself to righteousness because He is worthy to make a kingdom of priests to God, to reign with the Son. He makes us righteous. He makes us pursue serving Him in all of our life. Would you do that today and every day? Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we pray 
that you would cause us all to turn away from the dead ends in the labyrinth of life. To turn away from every dependence upon ourselves. And to turn to your Son as the only one who can save us and who is worthy of all of our adoration, of all glory and honor and blessing. We are not worthy of that. And we get blessing because of him. So God, may we serve him with all of our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.